for a beautiful Lord's Day morning, and God, thank you for the warmer weather last night. God, we know as human vessels here on earth, sometimes we tragedy happens. We pray that you're with those that have lost loved ones and friends, and we pray that you're with our young people that sometimes struggle to get some traction in life. God, help everyone that's struggling to reach out and get some help. God, be with uh, Dan this morning as he brings part of your word to us um, and with Curtis as he speaks to us later. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Super Bowl Sunday. Everybody excited about this Sunday? Super Bowl Sunday? I think it's today, isn't it? Fourth, uh, 4.30. All right. I, th- I say we treat today services like Super Bowl Sunday. I know we have this big Gatorade container, so when Curtis makes a good point today in his lesson, I say we get a dump Gatorade today. <laughs> no? <laughs> Cold water would do. Yeah, but Gatorade so much more sticky. Uh, I guess we don't have it. I guess it would have to be lemonade, pink lemonade. I don't know. You up for it? <laughs> All right, we are shooting into Titus. I am trying to stay on schedule, and we are burning through this very quickly. Uh, the study is is one I'm hoping that is more of an eye-opener, where you can read Titus and Timothy and, and understand that these are personal letters from Paul. Uh, urgent personal letters from Paul to these two individuals, but what he has to say and the message that he's trying to get across is not something that was just to these people dealing with a specific problem in a specific area. It also applies to us today. Now, what can we get out of these three books that would apply to a faithful, effective, faithful, fruitful, effective life Try to say that fast. So please, take it. I'm just giving you snippets, just little tidbits, just enough to go, well, let me go check that out. And take it home and really study it and look a little deeper. But this week we're going to break first Titus, Titus 1, <laughs> 1 Titus, down into three parts. Um, we're going to look at his greeting we're going to look at appointing elders, and we're going to look at rebuking uh, false teachers today. But as we start off this new book, Titus is no different really than First and Second Timothy in terms of Paul getting right to the point. Um, in our reading today, Paul's going to urge Titus to establish order in the church, appoint elders who are above reproach and who are committed to sound teaching. Again, we've got that sound teaching. You're always looking at sound doctrine, not something that, well, I think it might be this. It's actual facts, proof, things that we've looked at and we know to be true. Now, Titus, like First and Second Timothy, doesn't have Paul's typical Thanksgiving section in the beginning. I thank God for blah, 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 blah. right? Um, He just gets in, hi, my name is Paul, here are my credentials. And he still does not like any periods in this first section uh, we call the introduction. Here's why I'm writing to you. It's a rather short letter, just like Timothy's uh, letters are. But uh, 
16, 15 verses, I believe. Is it 15 or 16? I don't remember. 16. Rather short. Let's read it to familiarize ourselves with what we're going to be talking about today. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge in the truth that leads to godliness, is the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. That's one sentence, folks. <laughs> God doesn't know about periods back then, I guess. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the, un of the circumcised group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or merely human commands of, who, of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and conscience are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Is there anything in there that kind of jumped out at you, that struck you as a little off, or maybe it just all flows together and falls spot on? You're, you're kind of going, huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys are all liars. Yeah, seems a little judgy. <laughs> yeah, what you say is true. Yeah, this guy said it. He he's one of your people that said this, right? <laughs> yeah. So what's going on in Crete that is so? I mean, they're all liars? They're all evil? Must have been talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the uncircumcised. I mean, he mentions them and pulls them right on out, doesn't he? Oh, he doesn't? Oh, it's a circumcised. So the circumcised are at fault here. Is it just the circumcised that are fault? No, but they're 
there you go. There are others in here that are part of this whole thing, right? The false teachers. They may have been circumcised, and we're going to talk about that today. This is a really short letter, and Paul kind of comes in and just jumps in with both feet, doesn't he? He does not start mincing words. Hey, I am Paul. I am sent to you. Uh, and he just kind of just jumps in. What is the point? What is the nature of this letter according to this first chapter? What is supposed to happen? Guys supposed to go appoint elders in those towns. Supposed to appoint elders. The biggest thing, you know, it's in Titus uh, 5 there. Bring order. Right? Bring order to Crete. Here we are. This is the reason I left you there. Right? Bring order. Appoint elders. Confront false teachers. Promote sound doctrine. Sound like any book we might have just looked at recently? <laughs> in any way, it's a lot like First and Second Timothy. And really, as you start looking at these letters, the only thing that's lengthy is this intro. But that intro has a ton of information in it. Paul gives a rather lengthy, personal intro, and he tells Titus just who he is. So what is Paul's basis? What is his purpose of apostleship according to these first four verses of the intro? What is Paul's purpose and basis for his apostleship? Not every list, like, like Steve says, is, is not complete. I got five of them that I came up with. Yeah, all right. That's all I got. What is Paul's basis? What is his purpose of his apostleship according to this intro here? He gives a very detailed intro of who he is, but not just who he is, his purpose. Further the faith. Further the faith. That I had, where did that provide transfer and growth of knowledge of the truth? I had that as number three. So, so further the faith. Further the faith. Yeah. I had five of them. Put in order some unfinished business. Put in order some unfinished business. Uh, oh, actually, that was number two. Sorry. Put in order some unfinished business. He says that in the first four verses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay in the first four verses. We're just looking at the intro. 
But yes, that is the reason for this letter. <laughs> but what is his reason for his apostleship? I'll start with the first one. serve. That is, above all, what he says right off the bat. Paul, a servant of God. What am I here to do? I am here to serve. Right? He goes on, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to also further the faith of God's elect. I'm also here to get us to heaven, get us to heaven hopefully, he says. Uh, knowledge to spread this, but not just any knowledge, right? Knowledge, dot, 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 whatever. Knowledge of what? Godliness, truth. Right? Truth, sound doctrine. We've heard it before, absolutely. Uh, get us to heaven. So, eternal life. That's a purpose. And the last purpose I had that I had found preach what is entrusted to me. So, what's he doing? Preaching and teaching. We're sharing, aren't we? Be kind, share, don't hold what you have. These are the five things that I came up with that were the basis, the purpose, that according to these, this first four verses, I am sure he did. <laughs> you, ever, you ever have to go and sit down and, and write a short bio about yourself for anything? <laughs> yeah. This is, this is what came down to me. He has brought to light through the preaching and trusted to me. God's talking to me, brothers and sisters. Here's what I got to say. You know, what an impressive bio this guy has. I couldn't do it. I'd just be like, hi, I'm Dan. <laughs> That's all I could do. Yeah. Now, he emphasizes in here two things, that he is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why is he announcing this to someone as close to him as Titus was? Titus doesn't know who this guy is? Why would we put this in there? Is there? I mean, there's nothing in here that's not here for a reason. Even those weird characters Brandon likes to find. Three verses are talked about him, and he goes off for 30 minutes. I can't figure it out. Why would he put in here, I am a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know who you are, Paul. Maybe those who did not know him as well. Right. Is this personal letter going to remain in, in his breast pocket of, of Titus? He's just going to carry it around and put it in front of his Bible and read it every now and then? To himself? Probably not. He knew this was getting out. He's not just writing to Titus. Here's another one of those, all right, yes, it says that I'm to Titus, but 
who is this letter to? Just like 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Yeah, everyone. Everyone. This is open for everyone to hear about. Somebody may not know who Paul is. Now, if I just open up this book and I just started in Titus, to somebody who's never heard of Saul or Paul, what is this telling them? It's a letter. And here is who I am. These are my credentials. I probably have the knowledge to tell you what I'm about to. I know something. Yeah, I know stuff. Yeah. Within the kingdom to, to conduct the king's business, the king would send a letter with them. And it was probably something similar to this. The letter of introduction saying, I've got the authority of the king to do what I'm doing. Absolutely. Nailed it right on the head. I may not know who Steve-O is when he shows up on my door to deliver me this grand message. But when he hands me this piece of paper and I see the king's stamp and I see, oh, Curtis is written right here. This is my, my buddy. He knows what he's talking about. Here is his credentials. Oh, come in. <laughs> right? I now have some credible proof of who this dude is. That's what Paul's doing, right? He is, he is putting this out there for him. What do we know about Titus? I mean, is this the first time we've ever heard about Titus? He's his traveling companion, okay. What else do we know about Titus? He was a Gentile. He was a Greek. How do we know that? He is the one that didn't have to have the... <clears throat> Galatians 2.3, he was a Greek believer that was uncircumcised. A Greek believer and uncircumcised. Um, there was this big hoopla that goes down in Jerusalem. We have the Gentiles over here, and we got the Jude Judaizers over here, and the Judaizers are telling what to the Gentiles? Drop trow. You will follow these laws. These are our requirements, so to speak, to be that first-class citizen. Drop them. You truly want to be a Christian? You want to be that? you got to follow our ways. And what are the Gentiles telling the Jews? I don't think so, dude. Uh-uh. Not today. <laughs> no. Titus is that key person. He is that tool that Paul and Barnabas used in Jerusalem. And he brought Titus and Barnabas to Jerusalem. In Galatians 2.1, we learn that they go to Jerusalem to settle this case for good. Why would they go to Jerusalem to settle this case for good? It's the center of Jewish culture. What resides there? temple, but this is where the big guys hang out. This is where the council, the Jewish council resided, was in Jerusalem here. And he's going to put forth this debate. Good Christian boy, you guys like this guy? Yeah. Gentile, Greek, uncircumcised, 
And the Jewish council comes forward and says, you know, you're right. Here's our final decision. Gentiles, you don't have to submit to the Jewish leaders and what they're saying you have to do to be saved. No, we're not. We don't have to do that. Gentiles, these Jews don't have to become like you. You don't have to become like them. Okay? In Galatians 2.1, we start to see this. And in Acts 15.11, that's kind of where Paul tells us that this has been concluded. Right? Now, Paul at that time was saying, salvation is through grace. Plus, oh wait, there's no plus. There's nothing over here. Whereas the Jews are saying, you know what? You have to be circumcised and thus keep the law. And that's our requisite for being the real deal. And that was what this whole thing was over. But Titus, Barnabas and Titus, I put them both together just to save time, trying to get you done in time, Mayor Steve, uh, went to Jerusalem to take care of this. But Titus was the tool, the key for this here. This is it. Titus is a Greek believer who learned from some of the best who was uncircumcised. Paul uses something else that's unique here. He says that God is our Savior. And just half a verse later, he says, who is our Savior? Jesus is our Savior. Why is Paul using this title for both God and Jesus as our Savior. <laughs> I got no problem with it. <laughs> Why would he use this term for God and Jesus both? How can God be our Savior? How can Jesus be our Savior? Wait a minute. Do we have a, a Savior? Okay. Paul's bringing to light one of the greatest themes that we're going to see here, and that's God's work of salvation. Who saved us first? <laughs> there we go. But Jesus carried it out. There we go. In Isaiah 49, 26, Isaiah starts to stress, the Lord alone is our Savior and our Redeemer. He says that again in, in chapter 16, verse 16. The Lord alone is our Savior and Redeemer. See, Paul is saying here that God has now saved His people once and for all through the redeeming death of Jesus. They are one they are the same. We understand that they are the same being, so to speak, the Father and the Son. Okay. Do you think that this was missed by the Crete church? <laughs> he brings this up, and this is not the first time that Paul actually mentions this. If you look through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you're going to find that he uses this very interchangeably. Lord, meaning Jesus. Lord, meaning God. Both are our Savior. And he uses this over and over and over. So yeah, I think it was missed by a fair amount of people. Otherwise, why remind us 
Oh, wait, I know, I forget. I'm good at that. Paul is simply reminding them, hey, here's the reason. Here is sound doctrine. He starts off his letter with a bang. And I don't think it was missed by the Crete church when they first read this in front of them, going, "Um, guys, maybe we did miss something here. Paul finishes his conclusion, his niceties. Hey, to Titus, my true son in the common faith. Introductions are over. Again, it's a very similar letter to Timothy. Verse 5 summarizes the marching orders from Paul. What are those marching orders? Tom? Do some house cleaning. Do some house cleaning. Put things in order. What order are we talking about? How are we going to put this thing in order? Get the hierarchy set up. Appoint some elders. Absolutely. How does this differ from the letters to Timothy? Acknowledge our leadership. Acknowledge the leadership. That works for me. Acknowledges our leadership and puts it in play. Yeah. Well, uh, whenever I hear hierarchy, I always do this with all of my... You guys have always seen that uh, uh, business model. Right? Uh, you got the, the big wig up here. And underneath him, he's got these littler big wigs. Right? And then under that dude, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't fall for that. I tip that on its head. Especially when it comes to the, the church. For me and Curtis, I'm talking local here. Not God is still our big wig. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I don't truly think that Curtis and I are over anybody. Ever. We're here to support. We're here to serve. We're here to help. We're, we're down here. And honestly, when you start looking at servant leadership, that's where we ought to be, I believe. And if I'm wrong, please come correct me. I will be all right with that. But yes, he is putting in order what should happen. Now, how do these books differ? 1 Timothy and Titus. Titus, go do it. And in Timothy... They do. There was a lot of affection coming out. If you read the letter from Timothy uh, 1 and 2, there's a lot of affection there. Now, there's a lot of affection that's going to come out here, just in a different manner, but what was Timothy's first charge? Preach the word and I look people look down on you. That was after his charge. What was he supposed to do there? His big thing. Rebuke, reproof. Who are we rebuking and reproving? 
the false teachers. Timothy's first charge by Paul was, take care of the false teachers. Get them out of there. You know what to do. Rebuke, reprove, teach and preach sound doctrine. Now what is Paul's order to Titus? Clean house by appoint elders. Now, did we get elders appointed in Timothy? First Timothy 3, Timothy? By the third chapter, it took him three, three chapters to get to appointing elders. Five verses? <laughs> A little faster here. Congregations are different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do you think... Let's back up. What does this tell you about the maturity and the conditions of the churches in Crete? He is telling him, appoint elders right away. He's not going in and saying, Titus, you need to go and reprove, rebuke, and get rid of the false teachers. No, you are set up elders, just like I told you to do. What is this talking about, the maturity of that? The dumb Cretans? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little more mature? They should be, yeah. He's, they've been established already. These are churches that are up, that are running, and Titus' whole thing was to go and finish these. Okay? By appointing elders. They've been there for a bit. So, why are you appointing elders now, Titus? Why would Paul say, go appoint these elders? Could Titus not handle all of this? And that church, or those churches need their own leaders. These churches did need their own leadership. <clears throat> it wasn't Titus's job to go and get rid of the false teachers and then to get the elders in there and have it all set up. These churches have been set up. They know what's going on. It's the elders' responsibility to clean house. Not Titus's. Titus is helping to set things up. Get them in order. Let's start pulling you guys back now and going down this path. Now there's this thing in... Um, Team development, it's called uh, the different stages. There's four of them. Actually, there's five if you don't adhere to that one. But you got a forming, storming, norming, and performing. Those are your four stages of team development. When you first form, everybody's excited. They want to do this. Hey, let's go. We're, we've got this going on. Right? Everybody's kind of coming in. They don't know where they're going, they don't know the direction they should be headed, they just know they're going to be part of something and we're having fun. And then they get into this storming bit. They start going, well, I don't want to go that way, I don't want to go that way, I want to go over here, I want to do this. Right? And then you get that norming where they all finally start to figure out, well, maybe we all want to kind of flow like this. we still got some button heads here and there maybe, but we're kind of making headway to the final goal. And then you got that performing. Everybody is in sync. 
the cogs and the wheels are all lining up. Everything is running smoothly. Titus is here to go, okay, you guys have formed. You are now way bad in the storming section. Come on. I'm going to put some order to this chaos. I'm going to move you forward. Elders, take care of this issue that you have. Here's how you're going to do it. Titus is there to get them back on track. Right? Set the churches straight. Remove the false teachers. And then Paul comes in and goes, I'm going to confuse you just a little bit. And we have been confused ever since then, right? The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Since an overseer manages God's household, wait a minute here. Are you saying that an elder is an overseer? Or God's steward? What, what are we talking about? Are these distinct offices in terms of being interchangeable as an elder, an overseer, and a God's steward? All of a sudden we had words just confuse me here. We still have that problem today. Is there any emphasis about the responsibility of these titles that Paul uses here? Is there a different responsibility from an elder than there is an overseer as there is from God's steward, a servant of God? They're all synonyms. Who are God's stewards? There we go. Us. What are we overseeing? Are we overseers? Who? Just Curtis and I? Yes, <laughs> you have responsibility. We are all overseers of what has been entrusted to us. We know the word. What are we going to do with it? Now, there is a little more responsibility for elders, and there is a reason why he calls these out. Right? Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There's part of that. Let's dig a little deeper into the Scripture because I only got ten more minutes to get to the rest of this thing. And we're only in chapter uh, 1, verse 5. <laughs> Go look it up. But here's a challenge for you. There's a website out there. ESV.org. EnglishStandardVersion.org. ESV.org. And you can go in and you can look up the qualifications for elders. From 1 Timothy. And you can look up the qualifications for elders in Titus. All right. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7 are your qualifications for elders that Paul gives to Timothy. And in Titus, they're actually listed out in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. Now there are at least three distinct parallels between these two, and there are at least three distinct differences between these two. Go find them. Here's your challenge. Are these one giant list? Are these two different lists? Why are these different? Why are these similar? Take a look at them. If you do, I can guarantee you'll start to understand some things about overseers, deacons, elders, and yourself. And what your responsibilities are.
So that's a challenge for you. See if you can understand why we have those differences and similarities. We are stewards of God's church. So what are we to do then, according to even Titus 1 here? What is the overarching theme of this whole thing? To teach what? The truth. Sound doctrine. Titus has just given us an example of how we're supposed to do that. Timothy and his letters, Titus and his letters here, tell us what we need to do. In Crete, who was the first person to confront false teachers? In the Crete church, churches, I should say, who was the first person to confront false teachers? They're on for prophets. He says, you guys are all liars, yeah? Absolutely. Titus comes in, and he's supposed to do what now? He's supposed to appoint elders, and then he jumps right into verse 10 there, for there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. They must be silenced. So what was Titus' responsibilities then? What is Paul telling him to do? Two things. First was to... Point elders. The second is to false teacher. Get them out of here. Shut them down. Silence them. It's not. It's not a very easy. Just go in and it's okay. Just just be quieter. <laughs> what were you gonna say? <clears throat> Timothy was going into a single church. And so he could be there to watch everything and that was going on. Yeah. Titus has several churches on this large island. And he can't be there watching every false teacher. So he's got to have men up there that can be trusted, that know the word, that know the truth, and are willing to take on the, the task of getting rid of those false teachers. Absolutely. Crete is not just one church. It's the churches of Crete. Timothy only had one that he was really dealing with, but it was bad. It was really bad. Titus has a lot that are really bad. He can't be there all the time. <coughs> so he's got to get these elders. He's got to get them appointed. That's his responsibility. First things first. How do I get order here? Well, I can't do it myself, and that's what Paul's telling him. Titus, quit trying to do it all. Appoint some elders, like I told you to do. Get some order. And above all, shut down these false teachers. Right? How can we take that and apply that to our lives? 
Is there anything in here that we can see that we might be able to apply to us? Scriptures to make sure that that the truth is being taught. And I and I think discover among ourselves too. It can't just be one person's opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be you know, with, with the shepherds and the and the elders and the leadership and you know, to see that it is the truth. Right. We gotta be in lockstep, don't we? This is not something that God did not come to create division, chaos, disorder. Yet we oftentimes in our lives have these items, don't we? How can we take this chaos, this disorder, the lies that are being thrown at us, and create order? Create that we're all in sync, we're all going the same direction. We have to stop and evaluate what's happening, right? We can't do it all ourselves. Titus couldn't do it all himself. He has a lot that he's got going on. We need to do the same thing. We need to have order in our lives. We need to make sure that we are studying that we know what we're being told is truth. If we don't, what are we doing? If we're not studying, what are we doing? It's going with the flow. But we don't care. We're not taking responsibility for our personal salvation. That's Curtis's job. Curtis, get me to heaven, buddy. I'm going to I'm going to strap onto your heels and where you go I go. What you say I will repeat. That's a way to get to heaven, isn't it? <laughs> no. No. That's what he told you. Till death do us part, right? <laughs> yeah. It's yours. Verse 16, we'll finish off with this one here. They claim to know God. By their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Are there times in our lives when we do any of that? At all? So what can we do, again, to turn this into a positive for a fruitful, faithful, effective life. What can we do? Better yet, what can you do to better a fruitful, faithful, effective life? What are the things that we're supposed to stay away from here? Sometimes we've got to read between the lines, huh? Don't be detestable. Don't be disobedient. Try to be fit and good for everything. 
Now, if we are following the law, if we are obeying the rules, if we are truly living that Christian life day in and day out, are we detestable? No. Not at all. What's your thought? Your thought? Sounds like it Sounds like work. <laughs> it's an immense amount of work. And that's really first Titus, first Titus, Titus 1. There is a ton of work in 16 verses there. Are we up for the work? And that's kind of what we need to start looking at. Can we do this? I think we sure can. Absolutely. But can we do it on our own? I can't. And it's not just God that I need. Is it? No. Why? Why? Why do we need each other? Each other and and help each other grow. Absolutely. We can challenge. We can encourage. We can be there for each other. You need a shoulder to cry on? Great. You need a pat on the back? Awesome. You need that lift up in the middle of the week. Here we are. But we got to work together to do it. It's so easy to get bogged down in the mire of today's society. And we forget, as we are forgetful people, whose children we are. Why we're here. What was given to me that I need to give other people? And we often forget that. But together, we are stronger. There was a video I saw on Facebook today about an individual who was getting on a subway train or a, a train or something. And as he was getting on, he slipped between the platform and the train and got stuck between the train and the platform with his leg. I stopped the train. They, nope, you're not moving. Otherwise, you're losing a leg. And they stopped this thing. And they're trying to pull him out. And they're trying to pull him out. And they couldn't. So they emptied the train and had everybody line up on the train and start pushing. And they pushed that train enough that they were able to pick it up. One person could not do that. But working together, in unison, all going the same direction, we can accomplish big things. Titus, go appoint elders. Get some people of like mind who are sound doctrine. And watch what Crete can do. It's a great place. Let's get us there. But we can take it and use it in our lives too. Next week we're going to look at Titus 2. We'll look at the whole chapter there. Uh, we're going to talk about sound doctrine. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.